he did not have a playoff run last year, um, to say the least. Um, or ever. <laughs> not his fault, but it's it, true. I didn't either, for the record. So. <laughs> we still don't know who's the greatest quarterback to wear number five in OUA history. People are saying some wild stuff on that. I don't know. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. We are down to two remaining teams in the whole nation. It's the Laval Rouge et Or, the Saskatchewan Huskies, getting set to do battle in the Vanier Cup here in London, Ontario. And by the time you're hearing this one day's time, I am joined as always with Nate Hobbs and Tom Sterling. Nate, how are you feeling going into what is looking to be a pretty epic matchup based on what we've seen in the two semifinal bowls and kind of doing a bit of research diving into the two seasons these clubs have had respectively? I feel good. I think that there may be a bit of, I don't know if pessimism is the right word, but I'll I'll stick with it about this game, you know, because West are not making it and it was supposed to be in London. And maybe there are some voices that are wondering if, uh, you know, Saskatchewan might might get rolled here after their performance against St. FX. But, you know, I think this matchup poses a different set of problems for Laval, um, especially, you know, having to deal with kind of a more explosive passing game, I think makes a big difference compared to um, what Weston was able to do. So I still think an intriguing matchup and probably one that will still be quite a good game, actually, better than people think for sure. Now, Tom, you are a sane effects truther if there ever was one. Um, and, and, and to Nate's point, that was a bit of the conversation coming out of that UTEC that when that game ended, and which was prior to the Mitchell Bowl, there was a bit of that conversation that, okay, whoever comes out of this Mitchell Bowl is going to roll in the Vanier. Uh, you know, I went back to that UTEC a little bit. I, I don't. I, I don't fully think it's that. It's going to be the case. I'm. I'm. I'm be very interested to sort of talk this through about this matchup in particular. Um, are you leaning into? And I think I know which way you're leaning into that narrative that this is going to be uh, a, a Laval just uh, absolute just gong show running over them. Or do you see Saskatchewan? Do you see that matchup they had against Saint FX a bit more? Um, favorably than some people are looking at it in terms of what Saskatchewan's going to bring to the table in this vanier. Yeah, listen, Saskatchewan Huskies won the Canada West, the Hardy Cup. That Canada West league is very, very good. They're always pretty competitive from top to bottom. It's probably consistently anyways, the most competitive league from top to bottom throughout. Now, obviously, you know, Calgary, uh, uncharacteristic year and really struggled, whatever, but there's always normally, there's no game that really comes easily in the the Canada West, mostly anyways. So I think that Saskatchewan is definitely going to do better than what people are thinking, uh, but we'll dive into that a little bit later on, but it's, it's not going to be a steamrolling. That's for damn sure. Well, and, and one of the interesting things of this matchup is in comparison to at least the narrative going into our semifinal games that it was one on on one hand on the one hand the the teams that ultimately lost in both matchups being these ground and pound teams going up against teams that based on how they performed all year long were air raid offenses and as both those supposed air raid offenses showed in their semifinal matchups they were both very formidable in running the game so now we have the two air raid matchups but they both obviously showed that they have formidable running games i say all that because by the time well not by the time you're listening to this but by the time we get to that 
matchup on Saturday afternoon at Western Alumni Stadium. We will have our 2022 Heck Crichton Award winner. Now, the two participants in said game are somewhat apropos to the style of how these teams played in the regular season, both their quarterbacks in Arnaud Desjardins and then in Mason Knives. On the other hand, of course, looking at St. FX and looking at Western, the two running backs, those teams in Malcolm Busey and Keon Edwards being the respective MVPs coming out of their conferences. So, you know, let's have a brief talk on that. And the first thing I'll throw out, and I'll throw this to you first, Nate. If you, because you are the you are the betting man here. Uh, if there, and I don't know, there may be lines on this, but let's start it off before we get to names. Let's go with position, because as I set up there, we have it's going to either be a quarterback or a running back. If you were a betting man, and we all know you are a betting man, is this year's Heck Creighton going to be a quarterback or a running back? Ah, that's a really tough question. Um, I mean, looking at it without any kind of names or faces and you just gave me quarterback or running back, I'm taking quarterback 10 times out of 10. And uh, I mean, that's, you know, I have some bias there, um, but that's also just the way it is. I mean, you look at, you know, the history of this award, a history of other MVP awards, and that's just the way that it's gone um, recently. But that being said, I think when you kind of drill down a bit further, um, I think it's a really, really tight contest between two specific guys. And I think it's, you know, for me, it's, it's Nias or, or it's Keon. And, you know, I tried to go back and, and through the years and see if there was some politicking between, you know, this conference can't win every year or something like that, because we have seen the OUA win the past two times, I believe with Merchant and Trey Ford. Um, but there was a stretch in the 2010s where Can West won like four years in a row, five years in a row. So doesn't really uh, come into account there. So my theory didn't, didn't really pan out. But, um, you know, and even coming down to like the, the totality of the past two years for those guys. And I was like, well, you know, Keon won the Vanier last year, but Nios has made it to two straight Vanniers. So what like where do we rank these things? You know what I mean? And so uh, it's really as close as it gets. But I mean, maybe it's a bit of my OUA bias here, but I I would have a slight edge towards Keon, but that's just me. And I certainly have the same OUA bias because when you talk about Mason being in these back-to-back Vanniers and perhaps maybe people are sleeping on him, it does kind of feel like on the one hand, he's going up against Western. Western picks up the win last year. And then this year going up against Laval and it's in London. And all these, it always seems like there's all these other storylines that kind of trump the Saskatchewan Mason Nia storyline. Now, of course, people out in you know, Saskatchewan, if they're tuning in, first of all, you know, God bless you if you are like, let's, you know, let's expand this, uh, this broadcast as far as we can see to see to see um they're probably just thinking but I yeah think, but i think if, if if saskatchewan came out last week and blew out saint effects i think his name would be much hotter going in this conversation and the funny thing is he still had a tremendous game but you know i just i think the team performance in general has kind of cooled things off just a little bit because i mean look at like the halfway point of the year if we go back further you know, to me, it almost felt like he was a shoo-in at that point but things have obviously changed since then no that's fair and and once again the, the sort of oua East part of the country bias just being that Saskatchewan just doesn't as a program isn't as sexy as talking about the Western Mustangs the Val Rouge or once again Saskatchewan they're probably being like sitting there with their watermelons on their head being like what are you talking about eh um Tom Nate brings up a point and this is going to lead into something I want to kind of a discussion I want to talk about more specific to OUA MVPs in a second but when we look at 
as far as the history of this award in the last near two decades, we have one running back winning this in Ed Elnicki in, in 2017 from the Alberta Golden Bears. Shout out to the Golden Bears with the greatest mascot in sports. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google image that freaking Golden Bear. It's amazing. Do you see a change? No, I shouldn't say a changing of the guard, but, you know, and, and we should just shout out to Malcolm Busey again, like seeing what they did. And obviously they have a really great quarterback in Silas too. Um, where are you leaning as far as where this award is going to go this year? And do you think the voters, and I don't know when those ballots go in, do you think the matchup that we have now being Laval and Saskatchewan, is that going to sway voters? Or do you actually, you know, as someone who's been in a couple of these games, uh, do you have that certainty that those those votes would have been cast before we had this matchup shored up last week? Yeah, it's very interesting with the voting that happens here because obviously the All-Canadian dinner happens the night before the Vanier Cup. And so realistically, you could probably go maybe until Wednesday of this week before you get all of your, your votes in for who you want to win the heck Crichton. So the last few games of the season are always really important for that. Um, no matter, you know, obviously the regular season kind of puts you on the map, but the postseason is really where I think you separate yourself. Um, I think that when you look at consistency, you know, Keon Edwards rushing for a hundred yards in every single one of his games is pretty damn impressive. Now, if you look at, you know, the game that he had against Laval, while he did rush for 100 yards, it wasn't the same kind of um, level of, I don't want to even say level of rush because Keon Edwards is absolutely incredible. Wasn't as dominant. Wasn't, didn't feel as dominant. Didn't feel as dominant for sure. It wasn't breaking out like the 20, 30-yard, 40-yard uh, runs like he normally does, but was against a very stout Laval defense. And it's something to be said that, even against that, he was still able to gain 100 yards. And then you look at Mason Nias and, you know, the past two, three games, he's only had like six or seven, six to eight incompletions like per game. You know, even without looking at how many yards you're throwing for or whatever else, only having that many of incompletions consistently, at least in some of the biggest games of this season, is also pretty impressive. I think that normally – the, the award kind of goes to the quarterback because they are the offense, you know, without them, the offense has to be completely changed or whatever else. But in the Western case, Keon Edwards was really the focal point of that offense. No disrespect to Evan Hillock, but obviously as a running team and everything else. So I think this is as close as a, as a debate between a quarterback or a running back winning it, as I can remember in recent years. And I can't get over my OUA uh, bias. I'm going with Keon Edwards in this one too. So, so the Western O line isn't the focal point of that. <laughs> Let's go, El- hey. Elliot Beamer, Heck Creighton, 2022. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Keon Edwards had to deal with a whole lot of uh, red and gold in the backfield, a lot more than he had to deal with in any other game. No disrespect to that uh, Western O-line, but they did not have their best game, and Keon Edwards still ran for over 100. So, Well, and, and this kind of segues into... Well, actually, before we even segue this, I'll, I'll throw back to, to Nate. Nate, I know you are a fellow hoops junkie, um, and there's always a conversation when it comes to NBA MVP when, uh, you know, a Nikola Jokic wins back to back, but gets outed in the first round of playoffs that people start going, how do you give this guy the MVP? And then of course that's followed up with the, 
It's a regular season MVP or award, and I, I don't have the the language of the Heckcrite Award in front of me. Actually, I kind of do. I guess it does say, as far as the Wikipedia page, and award annually to the most outstanding Canadian player in youth sports. Is that specify in the regular season in the playoffs? And I throw it back to you, not only as a basketball fan, but as well to something that Tom mentioned about. Uh, I forget how you framed it, Tom, but kind of you build up your your um, your stature in the regular season, but then you know the legends are made in the playoffs, if you will. And of course, Nate, you were I know you've spoken out, if you will, a few times about Trey Ford's win last year uh, being perhaps a bit of a legacy because obviously. He did not have a playoff run last year, um, to say the least. Um, or ever. <laughs> not his fault, but it's it, true. I didn't yeah. either, for the record. So. <laughs> we still don't know who's the greatest quarterback to wear number five in OUA history. People are saying some wild stuff on that. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, you know what? I feel like I'm just, I don't know. Do you have anything less, less anything more to say? I feel like I got all, more than I could have wanted out of you on that. I don't know. It's really, it's really funny because like going, hearing Tom kind of go through his spiel, I kind of felt feel myself leaning more towards Nias. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just man, it's hard to play quarterback. And I think like you look at that Saskatchewan team, and I think they're really damn good, obviously. But I think he's the guy really pulling the strings. You know what I mean? There's no there's no Edward Winati or anyone you know giving this guy a break on on Saskatchewan. Not that like running back is, is a bell cow position anymore or anything like that. I think that is an unreasonable expectation, but in terms of like pulling the strings and making things go, you know what I mean? Like it is, it is a, a kind of a different level um, when it comes to quarterbacks and obviously yeah, I have some bias there, but I mean, it's just, it's just the reality of the situation and it's borrowed time and time again, this award, I think there always is the element of kind of having that narrative to to these awards, and I think that's kind of the NBA connection you're making there, right, Zach? Yeah. Is we get a little bit sick seeing, seeing you know the same person, or maybe in this case the same conference winning over and over again. And I think you know at least that narrative might lean a bit towards Saskatchewan just because we've seen the OUA the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean it's really you know hard to bet against that quarterback position it holds a lot of uh, a lot of sway with voters well it's certainly been a long time since the rcq took home a heck Crichton award so perhaps as far as that's concerned if that's on the forefront of anyone's mind then that could no doubt play in but nonetheless over the last 20 years we have seen only four non-quarterbacks win the heck Crichton award um and this brings me into our little game we're going to play last uh, again. You know, my 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 inbox was just flooded with with, you know, fans across the country just saying how much they loved how if how many, if any, and who last week, the segment that just stole the nation's heart. So we're going to do another version of it, because much like the heck Creighton, as when we talk about OUA MVPs, it's often a quarterback award. As Nate kind of set up, MVP in the sport of football often is, in many ways, a quarterback award. And this kind of this idea came to me, of course, because we just saw the Toronto Argos win the Grey Cup, and of course, one of the more recent non-quarterback MVPs of the league is Mr. KGJ Curly Gittins Jr. doing his thing for the Argos, winning that Grey Cup. So here's the setup we're gonna do: we're gonna go how many and then who. So I'll give you first off, first I'll give you both first an opportunity to guess in the last twenty years how. How many non-quarterbacks have won an OUA MVP? We'll go prices right rules closest to the number without going over. And then we'll try and see how many 
you can individually get will go one for one. If Tom has, say, we'll start with going back to last year. If Tom doesn't get it, Nate gets a chance to steal. Then we'll go back another year, give it to Nate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If it seems like it's taking way too long doing it, we'll just speed through it and just see if we can name how many of them. I'm kind of half making this up on the fly. I kind of prepped it, but let's just get into it. So let's see in my hypothetical coin toss I'm doing in my head. I'm going to start with Tom. We're starting with the how many prices right rules have uh, non-quarterbacks won OUA MVPs in the last 20 years. So going all the way back to the year 2002 up till the Keon Edwards MVP, we just saw how many. I might be giving my uh, opponent a bit of a uh, advantage here, but I, I need to talk this out a little bit. So you would have had probably Jesse Lumsden somewhere in there with uh, the amazing stuff that he was doing, but probably in 03 or 04. Um, my OUA knowledge base is not the best in the early uh, 2000s there. So I, I can't remember anybody else who would have had that. Um, I know certainly Curly Gittins Jr. would have been in there. Um, oh, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess and say four. And I'll just let me just make sure this is evident. We are, of course, in like the gimme in this, of course, is including Keon Edwards in the mix. So just okay. So we got a four from Tom. Nate, where are you leaning on the how many? I think it's it's definitely I think it's more than four. For sure. I feel absolutely certain about that. So I'm gonna say six. All right. Well, no one loses via prices right rule technicality on going over, but the win goes to, of course, then Nate Hobbs. The number was eight. I was rather surprised out of the 20 OUA MVPs that we've had since the year 2002, of course, including the fact that in 2020 we didn't have one. We, um, you know. Uh, we've we've had almost half the MVPs in the OUA go to non-quarterbacks. So let's do this, okay? So we'll do, we have a gimme as far as Keon Edwards. I gave Tom first shot there. Nate, 2021, I mean, in recent memory, these should be pretty easy. Who you got for me? This is last year, right? Yes, sir. (laughs) So that would be uh, Trey, Trey Ford. Exactly. All right, 2021, we had Trey Ford. Okay, 2020. No competition that year. 2019, Tom, who do you got? Uh, Merchant. Merchant, okay. 2018, Nate Hobbs, who we got? Trey Ford again. Okay, 2017, Tom Sterling, who do we got? Son of a... Uh, This is also unfair because I was playing during these. Does this, the okay, let me maybe I reframe. Does this make more sense to just see how many of those eight we can guess? Should we just go at it that way? Does that make more sense than going through all these 20 years? That might be too fast, too long. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think going going before our years is asking a lot. Fair enough. Fair but, enough. All right. Well, let's go. Let's just try as best we can. So we got Keon Edwards, Tom, who's a, who's another non-quarterback MVP you can think of from this group that we have? Uh, Dylan Campbell in 2014. Dylan Campbell 2014 on the money. So we got. So let's take Keon off the board. Take Dylan off the board. All right, Nate. Name me a non OU uh, non quarterback OU MVP in the last 20 years. Keon and Dylan Campbell are gone. Andy Fantus. Andy Fantus 2005 off the board. Back to you, Tom Schilling. This takes me back to you guys ever watch Stump the Schwab? Way back in the day on TV. That was a great sports little quiz show. Anyways, Tom, who do you got for me? 
Oh, what a call out with Andy Fan too. So I'm going to go uh, with the guy I already mentioned with Jesse Lumsden. 04, OU MVP, Jesse Lumsden, off the board, done. Back to you, Nate Hobbs. Wow, it's getting, it's very, <laughs> that's, that's my call out. Can we get, give me, give you, give me like a year or something? Is what, that fair? Well, there, like there's a name that in the, in this iteration of the game we've played, we haven't mentioned his name yet, but we've already mentioned his name already sort of in my preamble. The most recent OU MVP that wasn't Keon Edwards. That wasn't Keon Edwards. What school is he from? <laughs> do you like? Do you like how I'm just trying to cheat here? Um, in the preamble. All right, super quick. Teams left on the board. We got Laurier, McMaster, Queens, Windsor. Oh, Curly Gittins Curly Jr. Gittins. Did we say yeah, that? Yeah, Curly. That's what I was kind of alluding to there. Okay, so we got. Oh, sorry. I thought. I thought we already. No, said no, no. That. I I kind of changed up the format of the game on the fly. So let me just do a little quick math here. We have three names left on the board. We have a master receiver, a Queens running back, and a Windsor running back. Tom, we go to you. My guy, Mike DeCroce. Yeah, please come on. Thank you very much. All right, we have a Queens running back and a Windsor. Right, I got back. the last two here. It's Mike Giffen, and it's. Oh, hold on. You know what? You just going to hijack well, the show. I mean, I, Tom's not getting Tom, do you know who the... This is a deep cut. Do you know who the the, uh, the last OU MVP that we have yet to name from the last 20 years is? It's not... It's, I'm trying to think. It's, it's a Windsor Lancer, right? <sighs> this guy's been a Windsor Lancer fan since way back, apparently. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't. I I can't think. Jordan Breskin, maybe. Nate, your chance to steal. Like I was looking at this like earlier today because I thought we were going to talk about Heck Creighton. So I, it's not really that fair to be honest. But it's it's like I know it starts with D. I'm going to guess Daryl Stevenson. Daryl Stevenson, running back for Stevenson. the Windsor Lancers, 2006. Well done, my friends. Um, hopefully, for those listening, that was uh, that was enjoyable, uh, and I'll be flooded with letters and emails again about how much the how many, if any, and who segment is uh, coming along on this broadcast. But we got a vanity to get to, my friends. So let's uh, let's hop right into it. Um, Here's what I want to start with. We talked so much setting up that Western Laval game in that Western's bread and butter defensively for ever, at least the Paul Gleason era there on defense is very much, hey, and it kind of reflects their offense. Western has a lot of bravado to say the least, and that's not a shot at them. I think that's, you know, when you're that good consistently, you could just, hey, here's what we're going to do. You got to stop us. But in defensively, they have sit in their base. They're pretty big up front. Some great linebackers just across the board a really solid defense. As Nate kind of said, they'll let you chunk it down the field on them a little bit, but they're going to have they're going to say rely on some of their playmakers to eventually stop. And we kind of talked about, well, are they going to bring a little pressure? We saw them do that against Queens early in the year. But of course, this uh, Arno Desjardins offense with, uh, you know, the weapons he has, maybe that's too dangerous. Let's go back to that UTEC Bowl, Saskatchewan. Whether they were running out of a four-man front or every now and then going to a three-down line, they certainly, I mean, and and once again, I, I didn't dive into a full season of Can West football to sort of study the tape and break it down, but we are we also talked about that at this point in the season. You are who you are, so I don't expect Sask brought a completely different game plan defensively to the table. 
We saw them bringing a lot of pressure, even if it was just four guys coming in a three-man front, blitzing a half, or in a four-man front and bringing five pressures, sometimes six-man pressures. I'll start with you, Nate, as our quarterback and just offensive guru. How do you think that's going to be a, a how how effective do you think that would be against Laval? Because it did seem like Western decided to uh, stick with the game plan they usually do and play it safe. Is it a bit more perhaps? Reason or is is the better idea? Do you think to get after them and maybe get Arno off his spot? I mean, the few times he was pressured, he actually did a great job of recovering when the pocket did collapse, making some plays with his feet, and then still find the the way to get the ball downfield. Do you think that Sask is gonna stick with what we saw against Saint FX and bring pressure, or do you think they're gonna be a little timid of what the Desjardins Metal combo could do if they uh you know get in some man schemes? I think they should stick with it. And, you know, like looking back at that Western game, like it feels it feels to some extent that they got shredded. It wasn't really that bad. Desjardins, 18 to 28 for 265. So not terrible. But for me, like what sticks out in that game is anytime they were in second and long, it just felt like, you know, more often than not, they were able to convert those situations. And, you know, there wasn't a ton of pressure that they were facing. And that makes it really easy. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, you know, they're hitting a lot of comeback routes and things like that, um, where they were given, you know, a pretty good amount of space. And I can understand why, uh, given the receiver talent they have, uh, the RSEQ MVP, um, you know, not alone there in terms of what they have. So, you know, I can understand that. But I think you can't, in those kind of situations, I don't think you can let this Laval team get comfortable. Um, and I was kind of thinking that earlier today, is that really, you know, you're going to have to get them off a spot and get them uncomfortable because I feel like watching that Western game against them last week, it just felt way too easy for them. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, the same thing goes for the run game. Like they kind of, it all looked pretty easy across the board. And I think if you're Saskatchewan, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Saskatchewan, but I feel like, I don't know if you feel like you can get them out of anything in kind of your base defense and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think you're going to have to be a bit bold. Um, that our guys are going to have to stand on their heads. So I think the reality of the situation is you're going to have to take some chances. You might give up some big plays, but I think at the end of the day, you have to really get this offense out of rhythm because they looked in barring three missed snaps. Okay. You can't forget that part, but barring that it really, it, it did to some extent look almost like a walk in the park for them last weekend. No, definitely. And, and you know, another reason I'll throw this to you, Tom, why, Honestly, I, I, I might be making my decision on the pick on this game as, as we keep talking this through because, you know, I, as much as I think we, we already set this up as people came out of that UTEC Bowl being like, doesn't matter who comes out of the Mitchell, Sask is going down. You know, one of the other big differences with the Huskies and the Mustangs is their versatility on offense that they bring to the table. And, you know, we already talked about, you know, Mason as this, you know, possible heck Crichton winner for the year. But, and you were calling for this going into that game against St. FX, just let's get Riker Frank going. And they certainly did to the tune of 20 carries and 134 yards and, and not just feeding him the ball and trying to switch it up, pass and run. But it, it just felt like once again, compared to Western and, and I'll, I'll say it again, making this comment I don't think is disrespectful towards Western. Saskatchewan, on, just as they are in the defensive end, as we talked about and as Nate kind of went through it, offensively, they they have many more ways of attacking you. And, and as we saw down the stretch in that game, when it was Western and Laval, 
what was the biggest thing that not just us on this podcast, but people on Twitter and, you know, around the league we're kind of talking about is that Western just didn't really, I mean, they, 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 they couldn't even get out of their just little play action set to throw a, a, a ball down the field. I, how do you now kind of having looked at the way they differ from Western defensively, how do you look at the way they attack the ball on offense? You know, we can go into the specifics of Mason, of Riker, of some of the receivers they have and Weeb and Perry and these guys, but just as far as the way they change things up um, as opposed to a team in Western where, you know, there it's kind it's, it's almost like, Western's A game is is as good, if not better, than anyone else. But when they have to divert from it, they might not have as much uh, to bring to the table. Whereas Sask maybe lives more in that territory of, well, I mean, their A game is still nice and nice, and it's arguably the best quarterback in the country. So maybe that whole way of framing it is is sort of obsolete. What do you make of what Sask brings Sask brings to the table offensively that might give Laval a bit more trouble? So it's very interesting, albeit. Obviously have not seen a whole ton of Laval games, haven't seen a whole ton of Saskatchewan games, but from the few games that I have seen, I've seen a few things that I think might lead to a very competitive game. Now, one of the reasons why I think Evan was getting so much flack initially for you know the game that he played, and he didn't have a strong game, and we've kind of already gone over that, was because the receivers that he was missing, for the most part, were pretty wide open. That means that those Western receivers were able to create separation from the Laval defense. Saskatchewan's receivers are damn good. You saw Daniel Webbe in the uh, St. FX game kind of go off. Daniel Perry is the uh, the normal guy for Saskatchewan. He's had a hell of a, a, a time this past season connecting with Mason Nice and kind of being one of his go-to guys there. And they are great at route running and creating separation. You talk about the Saskatchewan defense, and they like to blitz a lot. In the past three games, Laval has been sacked. Uh, Desjardins has been sacked six times. Five of those six times have been by linebacker blitzes. So you play a really dangerous game in terms of, hey, if you want to get to this guy and you want to get to him successfully, you send some extra pressure, maybe uh, confuse that offensive line or get around the running back who has the responsibility for a linebacker blitz. But you take away somebody in that back end and you allow Desjardins and Kevin Mittal and all of his receivers to kind of do their thing as well. So it's a bit of a high risk, high reward on that defensive stance and how Saskatchewan normally kind of handles things. But in the few games that they have played against Concordia, against Montreal, and then against Western, all well, five of those six sacks, like I said, came from linebackers. So on a team who likes to blitz linebackers to, in order to, to get after the quarterback, that is definitely something to kind of keep in mind. And I I think that that Saskatchewan passing attack can be really uh, influential in this game at the very least. We've already seen Riker Frank and Kabongo and how they can really run the ball against a San FX team. Difference is that Owen D line disparity is not going to be the same thing that they played against with uh, St. Effects. That Owen D line for Laval is some of the top in the entire country. And there's a reason why they're in the Vanier Cup because of it. Saskatchewan has the same thing, but they're not going to have the same easiness of running the ball that they did against St. Effects. So they're going to have to rely on their Heckcrite nominee and Mason Nice and that receiving core. And uh, from everything that I've seen, I think they're going to do all right. Yeah, and, and you mentioning the the ability for defenses to get after Dejardin from the linebacker position, and like right away, I draw to mind 
Brandon Murphy for Western, even though it looked like he got banged up on a few of the times, being coming from that sort of half back position, being one of the sources of pressure they were able to get. And and now you kind of look at just how, you know, really in the trenches. And it's odd that I just, like I said, Tom, break down a little of the passing game. I'm going to go to the trenches now back with Nate here. But, you know, we talked so much about how effective, you know, when Laval was able to run the ball. And both these teams, they were getting these one-on-one matchups with just their, you know, guards and tackles able able to handle the front four. And then you're getting a one-on-one up at the linebacker position. You know, we spent a whole year watching the OUA and just marveling at the performance of James Peter and what he was able to do for the Ottawa GG, that middle linebacker. And I don't think there was anyone else in the OUA that really compared. And, you know, small sample size theater here. But as far as across you sports, uh, number 34, Alec Poiret for the Val Rouge or Holy jumping, um, kind of James Peter esque, you know, from what you saw from Sask, um, and sort of what they had to go up against in in Saint Effects last week. You know, this is obviously a different beast. What Laval has to do. What what impressed you most with you know how Laval was able to slow down that Western offense? We you know we did talk about you know the fact that Keon still got his numbers, but they certainly didn't make it easy. Do you think Sask is going to go back to Hey, you know what? We made it all year being essentially just like a pass first, second, and third team. Um, and that, you know, we'll, we'll run it when it's optimal. Or do you think they'll still try and get that run game going? Or is Laval just not going to even give them that option with, you know, a guy Poiré sort of guarding the middle of the, 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 the box at linebacker there for them? Yeah, I mean, you know, Poirier um, as a, as a, you know, the English speakers heard on the broadcast, just in case we weren't sure. <laughs> he was man, he he's crazy. He's all over the field um on Saturday. And it really, I mean, for that Western uh, rushing attack, it must have been pretty demoralizing. You know what I mean? When you're used to breaking off 20, 30 yard chunks, and you know what? You're getting five, six, and it's yeah, whatever, but you're not moving the ball how you're used to moving the ball. And I don't I don't see Saskatchewan trying to run at a high clip. I mean, I think there'll be the time and place for, you know, they have great athletes in both of those backs there, but, you know, it'll be like a, you know, look for draws and screens and things like that. And this is a team that has, you know, got these guys involved in the passing game. I think Riker Frank in particular is, is a good option out of the backfield. Look back to the, you know, it wasn't huge against San effects, but you look back to the Hardy cup, eight catches for 70 yards out of the backfield. That's huge for a team. You know, when you're going to be struggling to get, easy plays going for the offense, missing that running game, you're going to have to recreate it in different ways, right? So one thing you do is quick game. You know, you're going to hit screens. You're going to throw the back on a flat pattern from time to time, you know, RPO, things like that. And this is something that Saskatchewan's been used to. You know I mean? It's not like they're going off schedule, uh, not running the ball. You know what I mean? It's something they've relied on all year long. And I think, you know, again, getting into those second and long situations, and again, I look at Western and how they were able to throw the ball last week. It was not nearly as good. And you know what? Mason Oz isn't going to miss open receivers. That's just a fact. You know what I mean? This is, you know, respect to Evan. He's had a terrific career so far. He's only like 19 years old. You know what I mean? And that's both, you know, such a great, deserves such great praise for doing so much at a young age. But he's still at a young age. Nice is a fifth year guy, you know, he's 22, 23 years old. Like that's, you know, 
I could tell you from from you know just going from my second year to my fifth year, there's absolutely no comparison to how you're able to throw the ball um, in those three years. So um, I think it's an incredible difference. And again, you know, for a team that even if you do get stuck in kind of a second and long situation, you're not you're kind of you know I'm not going to say shrugging your shoulders because it's not that easy, but um, you're definitely not as concerned as let's say Western was last week. You know, as we keep going through this, I mean, I, I honestly like I think people who are looking at this as such a, a one side affair, I, I and I, I think I know who I'm going to make a pick on. But like, and I think yeah. I think like something has to be said, like, you know, for for a team that has a fifth year guy like this and, you know, no matter who, how good or how bad your own team is and no matter how good or bad the opposing team is, maybe how good the opposing team is in this case is you know you always have a chance. It's Canadian football. It's three-down football. It's going to be 11 degrees in, in London and sunny on, on Saturday. It's going to be a beautiful day. And you know what? No matter what you think of kind of how the game's going to go, because Saskatchewan has a guy like that, they absolutely have a chance. The guy who's been there, who's done it, they've beaten Montreal. They're not going to be afraid of Laval or anything like that. So, you know what I mean? I think you can go in this game with some confidence. And it's like, it's not like, we're going to have to rely on our running game. And then, you know, if we get stuck in the line, it's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter where we are. I mean, as long as we're not in second and 20, then uh, we have a chance. So like what that does for a team's confidence is, is tremendous. You know, I think that's actually a really great point because like as much as when we talked about and, and Tom, you being our resident player of games against Quebec teams uh, on this podcast, um, maybe you can speak to this where we talked in setting up that Mitchell bowl of, you know, this this rivalry, this sort of burgeoning, one might call historic rivalry against between Western and, and Laval, you know, the last time we saw it was 2018. Mac wins in 2019. We don't get football in 2020. And then Western doesn't see Quebec on their way to the Vanier championship last year. And, and honestly, I think that point Nate brought up is pretty, pretty spot on that Sask. And once again, I think this goes to our Ontario bias and and maybe thinking a little more because I just Quebec just I mean is so much closer than when we think about these West Coast teams and I think just for a lot of OUA fans a little more uh, front of mind we get probably more because when we schools out in the Ottawa region recruit pretty well out of Quebec they just it just that connection just seems closer and so it always seems like the bigger threat when we talk about the big bads of the other conferences but you know, to that point of this Sask team, not only with the fifth year quarterback, as Nate pointed out, but then also having had gone through Montreal last year, the team that narrowly lost to Laval this year uh, on the single point, as you certainly, Tom Sterling, have not forgotten about. Um, you know, what do you make of that aspect of this game? And maybe reflecting on Western's performance where this iteration of the Mustangs had not seen what Quebec has to offer. And, you know, we as OUA fans have, you know, or as sort of speaking of the, the OUA in the we have had success against Quebec. But sometimes it's on the back of like they get us and then we get them the next time round. This is now uh, Sask having, you know, this familiarity with them. What do you make of that aspect of this game having played? Well, I guess in your case, you got the win against Quebec and then you got the two losses against Quebec um, in the following matchups. How much does that play in as far as when it comes to these interconference games as we lead up to the Vanier? 
anytime, well, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't want to say a, a big uh, emotional spiel, no matter what you have to play the other uh, two conferences in order to get to the Vanier cup, but really you have to get through the RSEQ in order to get to the Vanier, whether it's in the, the, the semifinals or more often than not, it's in the finals itself in the Vanier. Uh, Montreal and Laval have just been powerhouses for a number of years now. Obviously, Laval, but for over 20 years, their first uh, Vanier Cup victory, I think coming in 1999. So since then, Glenn Constantine has really put together a, a phenomenal force in that. And that, if you haven't gone up against what it is to see a Laval Rouge or a Montreal Carabin, when they are on fire, when they are at the top of their game, it is something impressive, that's for sure. Not only do you have great coaches who are out there and getting them going and everything, but you do have the added benefit of CJEP. You know, your first year is a 20-year-old versus a OUA first year who was 17, 18 years old. That's a huge difference. Nate just detailed how different it is to go from a second year to a fifth year and to go from a second year to a fifth year when you're already 20 and then be a fifth year player when you're potentially 25, that's a huge advantage in its very least. You have more time to, in order to develop muscles, more time to work out, more time to see the game. It's a big, big advantage there. But if you haven't played against it, you don't know not only the toughness, but it's the resiliency. We talked about it on the, in the preview pod doesn't really matter how how bad you're beating Laval in the first half. They're going to come back. They're going to do some good things. And if you don't know that, that can catch you by surprise at the very least. So no matter what the score is in this one, Saskatchewan, say they go off. It's like uh, 28-0 in in the first half. I don't think that's going to happen, but just for argument's sake. Laval is not going to go away. They will always keep coming back. Desjardins, Mittal, all of those guys, they are going to keep coming no matter what, no matter what the score is. And that's also on the flip side as well. If Laval is up by three scores, they are not going to take their foot off the gas and just try to coast into this thing. If they can make it a 70 to nothing ball game, they will. Well, at first when you said on the flip side, I thought, you know, because it's obviously worth noting that despite, you know, what, what however we want to, think about or might compare Santa Fex to Western Sask still had to come back in their win right against Santa Fex and you know it's just it's just so cool to think about having these two teams that are just like so cool under pressure or appear that way um and just going back to the point of the advantage of the CJEP system, I mean, for OUA fans to really bring the point home, let's not forget that the OUA wouldn't give Joey Zorn rookie of the year because he was too old. So clearly, you know, the league itself recognizes our league at least recognizes the advantage you get from that in all and the even, reasons. Even even the strength of, I mean, you compare how those CJEP programs and the coaching that's involved compared to your Ontario high school football, it's not even close. Although I do want to just give a really weird fact about CJEP. They play on Canadian sized fields, but do four down football. It is very strange. I don't know why they do it, but there's your little CJEP fact for the podcast. Takes me back to the old OVFL days, baby. Um, <laughs> and just super quick, actually, while the theme of high school football came up, what's the deal with? having the Grey Cup one weekend and then the Vanier this coming weekend and then OFSA 
is the weekend after. Like, come on. Like, come on. Like, how did or, how did we let this happen? How about the official CFL Twitter? And I don't normally go after the CFL, but I am going to go after CFL saying, oh, what football's done for the year when the Vanier Cup is still going on and the Offsables are still going on. Oh, Canadian football is all done. You guys, if you're the CFL, you are the top of the top in the Canadian Football League. You have to be better at supporting the freaking game. Holy hell. I uh, Wow. I, I did not see that. But like in their defense, at the very least, it should be. Like it should be assuming that it's a, a an Ontario hosted Vanier and Grey Cup, which obviously it wasn't this year with the Grey Cup being out west. But in those lucky moments when you do, you should have Offsa throughout the week leading up to the Vanier. And you know what? If you're a participant in those Offsa games, I mean, I guess they got to go back to if the games in this case Vanier's in London. If this the team coming from like Sault Ste. Marie to Guelph, you're not going to be like, here's a ticket to the Vanier. I mean, whatever. But like, you get those kids, maybe those kids into the Vanier, you can. And if you had a ticket to the Grey Cup, you go to the Vanier for free, and then it culminates in the Grey Cup on Sunday when truly that it should be. I missed that tweet. That's that's in poor form, but nonetheless, it should be the end of the Canadian football season, more to sort of the point I was raising there. Um, that's once again, perhaps a, a, we can pocket that as a larger tangent we can turn into a whole episode when we get into the fallow periods of the off season in terms of Canadian football content when football is truly done here in the great white north. Uh I, I I'm feeling like I I don't know I, I'll I'll throw it to Nate one last time and then Tom if you've got anything less left to say, but at this point like I I mean we've been talking about these clubs for a few weeks now there I don't know what else we really have to say other than you know the haze in the barn and and, and let let let's go rumble I'm sure I just butchered that metaphor or whatever you know city boy trying to talk about hay or whatever I mean but Nate is there anything left? as far as what we need to set up for this, uh, this Vanier cup. I'm ready to make my pick. I don't know if Tom has anything. And you're, you're certainly picking first, Nate. You're that's, what's going to happen by the way, Tom, anything left from you? Yeah. One last thing to kind of bring up, and I don't know how much this will affect us or anything else, but I think it is worth noting that Laval is, in Ontario currently. They have been in Ontario since last week, so had a chance to kind of acclimatize and get used to being here. Saskatchewan has had to go from, obviously, Saskatchewan all the way out to Antigonish, and I don't know their travel plans, but I would assume that if unless they packed for an additional week, that they would have to go back to Saskatchewan to get all their stuff done and then go back to Ontario unless they're going from Ontario to Saskatchewan. Either way, long time from home and a, a couple of extra plane trips at the very least. So maybe the travel uh, comes into play there once again. Well, and I, I don't know who conducted the interview, but if you saw the quote from Kalanga Muganda coming off of the Mitchell and he was like, no, no, we, we packed for 10 days. And I was like, that's badass. That is, that's dope. And you know what though? Cause on the one hand you think, you know, and Tom, obviously once again, you being our Vanier cup expert in, in the proverbial zoom room, um, you always think like, I mean, these are still student, athletes like what about all that but you know as far as silver linings coming out of all the many things of covid it has provided more options for virtual schooling and access to your classroom work and and being able to do asynchronous work than no doubt there has been 
in any of our careers um, and times playing football. So on the one hand, you think like, well, how could you possibly do a 10-day trip? These are student athletes. It's like, yeah, you know, in the, in the world of the sort of COVID, post-COVID world, it's really not that hard to think that they could have managed that. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, uh, Nate, who is going to be the 2022 Canada Life Vanier Cup champion? Well, first off, I hope you guys don't think I picked Laval last week just because I was last. No, no, you hate Western. We know. Go. So now continue as he wears his UFT varsity blues sweater. Uh, look, I'm very scared of Laval because there's an air of a, you know, sort of a, a team of destiny vibe with this team and sort of all that they've been through. You know, you go back to the Dunsmore. And winning out of Rouge at the last minute, you know, damn, that's 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 one thing to get through. And then you you have those three bad snaps and you're down early against Western and you overcome that. I mean, what can't this team overcome? You know, I and I just I wonder. And and uh I look at the Saskatchewan team and you know, I'm gonna give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt last week, you know, probably going in there thinking they were gonna clean up a little bit. Uh, a team that was in the Vanier last year. So a bit of an overlook there. I could see that. I could buy that. Um, and I think, you know, I'm going to go, with, again, a strictly vibes pick. I love I love a hungry dog. I love a team with a chip on their shoulder. I feel like everyone's forgot about Saskatchewan. I'm going for the Masonias legacy. God damn it, I should have won the heck Creighton game. I'm going with the Huskies pulling off the upset in London. Oh, Nate's riding with the dogs. <laughs> Tom Sterling, who do you got in the 2022 Vanier Cup? Lots of factors in this one. The monster that is the Laval Rouge or the amazing coaching staff that, you know, Glenn Constantine has constantly put together. They've been in this game so many times that even though Mason Nias might be the fifth-year quarterback against the second-year player in Desjardins, he's got an entire coaching staff that has been in this Vanier Cup quite a few times here. Uh, they also they, might be the same age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they probably are. <laughs> hey, listen, there's something to be said about uh, experience in big games, going to Vanier Cups and going to everything else. Call it a bias. I'm running with the Huskies, baby. Ooh. Mason Nias comes out. His receivers do their thing. They pull up the upset. Saskatchewan wins the Vanier Cup over the you guys, Rouge. You guys, you guys, we're going three for three. I'm also going to go with the Huskies. I want to go with Saskatchewan. Let's go, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, like just the, the more you're going back to that UTEC, watching Sask, just seeing what they have, the wet, you know, those big boys up front. And obviously, Val handled the big boys up front for Western pretty well. Um, all these, I just feel like this is a, a good matchup across the board. I'm not buying into any of that. The UTech, you know, what people made out of the UTech and, and the Mitchell and all that. I think this is a fair fight. We can talk about the storylines. I mean, to me, the the the, the tastiest narrative storyline out of all of it is the whole idea that Western beat Sask in Laval's backyard last year, and now Laval has the chance to beat Sask in Western's backyard this year. But once again, in all of that, it's completely treating 
Sask as the means to the end of another team's narrative. To heck with all of that. This is about Sask's narrative, the Mason Nias hype train that Nate Hobbs is at the front leading, and I'm hanging on to the caboose. Uh, you know, and, and we're we're Pied Piper in this 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 thing all the way to the Vanier Championship. So. Ooh, that oh that was exciting that was exciting I'm 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 hyped up um yeah I guess next time the, the three of us will be chatting save for our text communications that I'm sure will be going uh, bonkers throughout the uh, the broadcast we will be we'll be into the off season so last words I'll, I'll pass to to Tom first just. The next time we're going to be talking, there won't be OUA or U Sports football until 2023. Uh, you know, we'll still do our kind of, we did our 2022 breakdown of the OUA season going into the playoffs. We'll do our sort of maybe our postmortems on some of the schools. Um, just last words as, as we as we bring this U Sports season to a close. I think just appreciation for everything that we have seen in this season so far. First that comes to mind is the competitiveness of the national semifinals. We talked about it a little bit before, but it is so nice that both games, while certainly uh, levels of sloppiness in both of these games, they were close. They were competitive almost throughout the entirety of the games. They were enjoyable to watch. There was no sense of like, oh my God, it's 48 nothing at halftime here i could turn this game off or whatever and you lose out on that it was it was great just in that plus having the parody that we did in the oua and we'll get into this in the um the postmortem like you were saying but like you know toronto post clay sakara gets into the playoffs windsor lancers gets into the playoffs mcmaster and guelph lose out of the playoffs Queens is now reestablishing themselves as one of the top in the country. Western's going to be Western and things, but so many great storylines, so much fantastic football. And I was just so appreciative to have seen this season and to just have football back. I know we obviously had it back last year as well, but full blown, no half conferences, whatever, back to regular and what a season it was. Yeah, you guys remember that Ottawa GG's Windsor Lancer quarterfinal game that we had like a month and change ago? That was awesome. That was amazing. <laughs> Nate, last words on uh, our eSports season. I mean, obviously we still got the Vanya to go through, but just as we are on the, the precipice of off-season uh, chatter and, and all the all the wonderment that that will bring. Well, just stay tuned, guys, in the offseason for when we do the uh, is the westernification of the OUA becoming a problem? Because, you know, I, 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 we won the Vanier Cup last year. OK, it's not that serious, but <laughs> I will bring that up later on. Uh, but no, I think Tom said it all. You know, I'm just excited to see a sold out Vanier Cup, right? It's going to be sold out. It's going to be completely full. Uh, Londoners, just make sure if you are less inclined to go to this game, please make sure you are selling those tickets. Don't let them just sit on the shelf. Um, and just, you know, I feel like uh, all year I've kind of operated, Nate, as your sort of interpreter for our fans who try to maybe you're trying to decipher sort of the meaning behind your words. Um, in case you just missed it, Nate Hobbs did just call Greg Marshall overrated. So anyways, we'll get to talk more about all this in the offseason and when we wrap up the Bandit Cup come Monday. So we'll talk to you then at the 55.